Let's take our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It is unusual for me to be coming to a message where I'm giving you one verse. But that's where we're at today. Uh, I shouldn't say it's unusual because it's kind of what happened last week. Went over verse 17 largely and kind of a, um, a run up to that verse. Um, talking about here the ministry of the Spirit and the ministry of, Spirit, of the Spirit today you'll see in the passage from glory to glory is uh, contained in that verse. We're going to unpack that and see what it means. I'm just going to take a moment here before we get started, before we go to prayer. Uh, we've been referencing this, uh, I think at least in some degree, um, in our interactions with each other. Uh, you know, I talked about it in Sunday school, we mentioned it in our prayer breakfast yesterday. Uh, but we, as uh, I think God's people, should be praying for the people of Ukraine and praying for what's going on there. Um, Again, I can't pretend to know everything that's going on with everyone in Ukraine, but it just strikes me that while we're sitting here having church, there are people being shot and bombs going off. And, and I watched a clip yesterday of a church huddled under some kind of a, an overpass or something like that where they were singing and don't pretend to know that assembly or anything about them, but I know that there's um, threat to life there. And if you know anything about war, which again, most of you uh, are connected enough to know and connect the dots, but war is also indiscriminate of age. It uh, kills pregnant mothers, babies, and children, and seniors, and everybody else in between. And um, I think we also know that um, most, most believers are as we talked about in Sunday school, you're kind of reading the times, and if you're much of a scholar about the Bible, you know that we're to be watching and praying already, and you know that there's nothing preventing our Lord from coming back while this message happens. And yet, God has a plan to use all these things, so it's just my encouragement this morning that when we go to prayer, we're going to pray for the people of Ukraine, pray for peace, and ask God to do His will. But as we are here in this service, we know that until the Lord comes back, he has a job for us to do, and he's got a plan for us. And it's my purpose this morning in 2 Corinthians 3 to understand the hope that we have that is in Christ. As we come to this, again, there is a doctrinal uh, undergirding of this passage, and it's a comparison that goes throughout this chapter talking about the comparison of the ministry of the Old Covenant, the law. It has a title in verse 7, but it's the ministration of death is what that's called, the ministration of death. Um, written and engraven in stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather, or the idea behind rather, is much more glorious in comparison? So this has been unpacking the idea of what is the ministry of the Spirit. And the ministry of the Spirit is at work in the world today, manifesting Jesus, drawing people to the saving knowledge of Christ. And that ministry is a ministry that is accomplished by the person of Christ and what he did for us in dying on the cross. Now, verse 17, it identifies the unity of, as we would describe the, ten, uh, the Trinity, but two persons of the Trinity. In verse 17, it says, now the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. I'm going to summarize that verse simply in this today. The liberty that is in Christ, the freedom that is in Christ, is better than we know. And I'm going to, I, I hope you can tolerate what I'm going to say right now. I hope in the world of the craziness that we have in our world today, with any time you talk about these things, it's, it's so loaded. But I'm going to hearken back to um, early history of the United States being um, a slave-oriented culture. It was not uncommon at the time of the liberation of the slaves through the Civil War, it wasn't uncommon when there was a freedom then given 
there was an, a lack of understanding to the scope of that freedom. A lack of understanding in what do I do now and how does that freedom live in my life. Not only was that true for the slave, it was true for those who had slaves. And I'm not going into all the battle that was post-Civil War about that issue, but I am saying that the truth of freedom to be understood by those who are free is often difficult to come by. And you have to be assured of the freedom that you have. And so here we have been told as believers, and I want to again, if I, this is not the intent of the message, but I will go ahead and say doctrinally, as far as race is concerned, God, can, God created the human race and everybody needs a savior, amen? I don't care what your skin color is. And by the way, I know that I'm, a, I'm a, at least I, I'm a mutt, that's what I am. I'm, a, I'm an American mutt. But um, regardless, because of the color of my skin, we're, we're today not supposed to talk about race, but I'm going to ad address it, not the point of the message, but I'm just addressing in the gospel's sake. Uh, I'll tell you how wacky I am, and this is totally a rabbit trail, but when it comes to filling out surveys and you have to put your race, I click other, <laughs> and beside it, I write human. And there are people that would say, yeah, well, you're speaking from a position of privilege. I'm speaking from a position of doctrine and grace that is free to all. Amen. Amen. Matter of fact, if we were to look at our history and what makes us us, I think we'd be surprised at what's back of the family tree. Uh, but the point is, this freedom that is in Christ through the Spirit is a freedom that is offered to every people of every tribe, of every language across the planet. So how free is it? It's a free invitation to all. Now here's the blessing of that spirit of freedom that is in verse 17. You don't have to cross a border. You don't have to get in some man-made raft to get you from one country to the other. You don't have to, through your efforts, get there. And by the way, the freedom that people are looking from there, I'm not, I'm not in any way talking about in countries that are oppressed that they shouldn't seek freedom. But we also know that here in the United States, we are blessed, but this is not heaven. And we're our own mess. And if we want to know how messy we can get, look north. Look south, look east, look west, and we see a world that's a mess around us. The freedom that is in Christ is so much better than just a social freedom or an economic freedom. It is a freedom that is open to all people, and it's a freedom that is accomplished not through any merit or work of our own. It's a freedom that's accomplished in who? We call this the sufficiency of Christ. So what it means when we read verse 17, the Lord is that spirit, and when the spirit of the Lord is there is liberty, it is better than we know. There is more freedom than often we recognize and more freedom than we doctrinally appropriate to our lives. And it doesn't mean a freedom. By the way, how messed up are we? We are so messed up that there are preachers that will use this verse and they will say from this verse, that means we can do anything that we want. It really doesn't matter. Does God care about morality? So does God know doctrinally a position or does God honor a position where those are, are saying, hey, I love God and I love Christ, but we live disobediently from him? Does God, does God care about that at all? But while he does care about that, is it that our behavior is somehow getting us closer to heaven? Well, not doctrinally, it's, it's not. Because the freedom that is in Christ is completely accomplished in Christ. And the point of the passage is, if there was a law that could save us, then we would be saved by the law. But there is no law. There is no doing good. There is no amount of right behavior 
that says that I have finally gotten there, I can attain it. Every doctrine, every religion that tells you something like that, that there is, is telling you a lie. And I want to be as, as confrontational about that as I can. Every gospel out there that is telling you, yeah, Jesus did what he did, but you need to, to make sure that you really get there, that is a house of cards and a lie and a bucket with holes, and you'll never know if you've got it if you're basing your salvation on that. And I would argue that's not freedom. Freedom is knowing who you belong to. Freedom is knowing that you cannot be lost in the family. So secure is the believer's soul that God doctrinally declares you to be already in heaven. That's in Romans chapter 8. So solid is your doctrinal position in Christ that he declares you to already, even now, have everlasting life once you place your faith in Christ. And God meant what he said, that no man could take that away from you. Neither can any man confirm that to you. It is the word of God that confirms the promises of God. So thank the Lord, uh, aren't you glad that you, I said this last week, aren't you glad that you don't have a grand poobah here? <laughs> you want to be right with God? That you have to give me something, you have to pay something, you have to do this and do, aren't you glad that salvation is all in Christ and he did it all? Aren't you glad for that? So what kind of freedom is that? That freedom means that I have been liberated from sin and death, and it's all because of Jesus. And it was never because I was a good guy. Now, you're not supposed to say that's right. I'm a good guy. What are you doing? That's right, though, huh? And it's not because you're a good person. It's because of the sufficiency of Christ. And it, I don't mean, that's just such wonderful news. Now, I told you I was going to preach on one verse. I guess I'm going backwards. All right, verse 18. Verse 18. Verse 18 is an interesting verse, and uh, we'll just unpack it here. But we all, with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now, what does all that mean? Now, I recognize that there's, uh, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> they might know about the Amplified Bible. They might, how many, raise, raise your hands. Some of you may really not like that Bible. Uh, as a study Bible, I'll tell you why I like it. Because the Amplified Bible kind of seeks to leave nothing out. <laughs> and uh, it kind of helps, okay, well, I guess I didn't miss anything. Um, but it helped me to understand in, in this verse, and really it just takes some time and thought to unpack this, to examine it. It says, but we all means all of us who know Christ is the context here. Um, he's the one that gives life and liberty for all those that know him. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass. Now, what does that mean? With open face has context to what we've just read. And what open face, what does open face mean? What does open face mean? It means that there is nothing like a veil obscuring your sight. Well, why does that matter? Because that's the old covenant. The old covenant had a veil. And there was a veil still on those who are in the old covenant, believing in the old covenant, that that's going to uh, make them right. That veil is blinding their eyes to the liberty that is in Jesus. And that veil, as we've already read in this passage, can only be taken away in Christ. Now, that veil is there across the different gospels that are out there, and in many religions, that veil is there because people are choosing not to believe in Christ and Christ alone. And because of that, there's a veil where people are unwilling to see the truth of the Word of God and instead live with the debilitation of the veil. And that's for the unsaved who are atheists, as well as those that say, but the gospel can't be true. It can't be Jesus and Jesus alone. I'm sure there are some other things I have to do. I have to do my pilgrimage. I have to do my pilgrimage to Mecca. Or I, have to, I have to pray over my beads. Or, and what all that does is deny 
the work of Christ on the cross. And it is purposely leaving the veil on. That veil, as this passage says, can only be taken away. And it says in verse 16, nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Do you remember when you came to Christ and the veil was taken away? For those of you who were saved younger, it's, you don't have that memory. But all of a sudden you understand and have a sense of that black void in your heart, who it was that was supposed to fill that. Anybody else kind of understand the experience now that you have purpose in your life? You understand that God created for a reason and you're not just some kind of glob that happened? You were created in the image of God and created for a purpose and a reason. This is all Bible stuff, right? Well, that veil can only be taken away in Christ, but we all, with open face, no veil between, beholding as in a glass, has the idea of looking in a mirror. That's what the point is. We are looking in a mirror, and what we see is the glory of the Lord. Now, how is that so? How is it that we can stand in front of a mirror and see the glory of the Lord? How is that possible? Well, I'm going to remind you of a few verses here. We'll take a moment and go back into 1 Corinthians chapter 6, chapter 6. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass, the glory of the Lord. There's no veil. We're looking in a mirror and we're seeing the glory of the Lord. Now, how is that possible? It's possible by doctrine, by understanding what God has said. And here's what God says, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20. What? Know ye not that your body is the what? Say it again, your body is the what? The temple of the Holy Ghost, which is where? Now that's pretty important, right? So for every believer, he says your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you. And here's what he says, which ye have of God. So who gave you the Holy Ghost? The Lord himself gave his spirit to you and the spirit indwells the life of that believer so that everywhere you go, the Holy Spirit resides inside of you. And he says, and he goes on to say, you are not your own. Why? You are bought with a, Christ, with a price. And it says an application there, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which belongs to, which are God's. So we belong to God because he purchased us. And I, I've got to say, uh, just testimonially here for a moment, uh, for anybody who's ever had broken relationship in your life, coming to Christ and understanding the commitment that Christ has to you is more than encouraging and stabilizing. In other words, to know that God will never leave you, that God will never forsake you. And by the way, did you mess up yesterday? You may not know it if you live as a single person in your house. If you live with anybody else, they'll tell you. And if only, if only your dog could talk. And this is the only time I'll ever say this. I think cats treat us like we deserve. <laughs> you know when a cat walks up to you and it kind of stops short, looks away, and like, is that person really worth it? <laughs> I think they know. <laughs> Every one of us is a sinner in need of God's grace. And every one of us, as a fallen creature, stand with sin stain in our life that has to be taken care of. The blessing of the Lord 
is that he saves us and loves us any way. Any way. Any way. So what that means is the freedom that you have in Christ is you may not have done well yesterday. You may not even be doing well today. It's not just a kind of a euphemistic phrase, hey, God is there for you. It's doctrine. He's not only there for you, he's reaching out to pull you close, to pull you into fellowship, to make you, help you walk with him who is the one who loves us beyond, beyond all love that we can know. But here in verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 3, we all with open face, no veil between, Looking continually as in a glass, in a mirror is the idea. Beholding, and that's the idea. It isn't that you walked by a mirror and had a glance. Beholding has the idea of continually looking there in the glass or looking in the mirror. You see the glory of the Lord. How is that so? You'd say, well, I look in the mirror and I don't see Christ. Well, I want you to understand the, the language of the scripture here. That's, how God, that's what God's going to see in you if you know him as your savior. When you stand before God, he's not, you don't stand there because you're such a beautiful picture. It's the blood of Christ that covers you that God sees. It's Christ in you. It's the spirit in you who is the hope of glory that God sees. This is a doctrinal position to say, yeah, but I don't see it. Well, I'm just telling you, this is what God says. God says his spirit lives in you and that he's in work, at work in you and it bears out in the next part of the statement, well, how is it that I see Christ as I'm looking in this mirror? It says, are changed in 2 Corinthians 3.18, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the spirit of the Lord. And here's the context. It isn't that you're standing in front of the mirror and that you see Christ because uh, you can actually see him uh, visually, but the doctrine of the Bible is it's Christ in you, and that image is what you are being changed into on a daily basis. And by the way, do you have some, some growing to get done before that really looks like him? There are some changes that probably should happen in your life to look more like Christ. I will tell you this again, it sounds like a commercial, but it's true. You know, we, we had fellowship right here just a moment ago. What's the purpose of that? The purpose of that is to minister what? The love of Christ one to another. We never look more like Christ than when we're trying to minister his love to people around us. And that takes a lot of different shapes, a lot of different looks. But when you try to minister the love of Christ, that's what's going to happen. You know, Pastor Phil is joking about, and there's some doctrine behind this, by the way, about Christians getting together for food. But why do we do it? We do it so that we can minister Christ one to another. I will say that one of the blessings last week is that one of our members came to me and said, Pastor, after the service, I got to speak Christ to somebody. That, that is absolutely one of the highlights to me of a service is that after this service, our people were speaking Christ to other people and some that weren't saved and pointing the way to Jesus. But the point is that doctrinally, God is at work in the life of his children to change them to be more like Jesus all the time. So I'll just ask you, do we need that work? Isn't that fair? And if you're thinking in your life, I, well, my husband could sure use that. Or my wife could sure use that. Or you're thinking in the room, well, that person could sure use that. Uh, I think we'd have to say yes, true to all that, but all of us do. All of us need this work. Now, here's the confidence that I have in the Lord. Are you everything that you should be? No. But one day you will be. And between here and that day, when we see him face to face, he is faithfully going to work in us. Now, by the way, do you, have some, uh, do you have some battles in your life as far as being what you're supposed to be? Do you? You got some issues in your life where maybe there's some anger or some resentment or some what I'll call some carnality. Anybody got that? This is when you go, yes. <laughs> yes. But the truth is we all have that. And my point is, you might say, well, I don't want pastor to know my, my failures. I, I want to tell you something that is an encouragement to me. And I'm going to say, especially for those of you that are older than me, 
When you are not perfect, I'm not disheartened. Because I know that God is still working on you and what it tells me for those who are older than me, that God is going to continue to work on me too. We need his corrective work. And what I want to challenge you about right now is, do you look like Jesus? Do you look like Jesus? And I know that's a vague, in some ways, open statement. And I also know there's a way in which all of us can say, well, of course not. But isn't it true that all of us should be seeking to reflect him, can I say it this way, better and better each day. And I'll also go ahead and say this. How has God designed us? Well, we need him every day. So even though I may have represented him yesterday, I'm called to walk with him and represent him today. So he's called us to be in fellowship with him, but we're changed into the same image. And when it says from glory to glory, it's a crescendo. That's the idea. It's a crescendoing glory. From glory to glory means I am growing in Christ, I'm growing in Christ, and it's crescendoing, and I'm becoming more like him. And I also then want to take the time here to say, but I don't feel like that's me. All right, so I'm going to ask two questions. First of all, everybody think about this this morning, is your faith in Jesus Christ? Are you trusting him as your savior? You've got to start there. Are you trusting him as your savior? Answer it again. Are you trusting Christ as your savior? Okay, if you are and you say, but I don't feel like I'm looking like him more and more each day, here's the good news. You're not the grower, Christ is. And you don't need to stress it. It's, it's the little kid that puts his back up against the wall and he wants to be another two inches taller than he was the day before. What you have to have confidence in is that God is good at what he does and this is the sure doctrine of the word of God. The sure doctrine of the word of God is that he is growing you from glory to glory to look more like Jesus today than you did yesterday. He's the one that's doing it. So recognize this doctrine for what it is and receive the joy that it is that the sufficiency is all of Christ, not only in our salvation, but in our growth. And then I'll just add this. Don't give up. Don't give up. Hello? Amen. Stop living in yesterday's failures. God would never love me. Look what I did. God would never. You know what? How about we live under the doctrine of the Bible? We also do something else that's not real healthy. We're changed into the same image from glory to glory. Who's the image? The image is Christ. Is the image the person sitting in front of, seated in front of you, behind you, next to you? Is that the image? No, it's Jesus. It's Jesus. It isn't so much concerned with what everybody else thinks. It's you being at peace that God is growing you and there's some growing to do. But he's the one that's changing us from glory to glory in that crescendo fashion. And it says, even as by the spirit of the Lord. My point in that last part is even by the spirit of the Lord, this is by doctrine and by the authority of God, this is the work of God in your life. Now, there is something that you do with this. Yes, God does it. Is there a participation that you have in it? Now, I'm not going to dive far off into this. At least I don't think I am. But I'm going to at least give you Galatians 5.16. The verse says, this I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So there is something you do. And what you do is live daily surrendered to the Lord's leading in your life. Surrendered to his changing effect in your life. And I'm going to again say, you can't change yesterday, but you can walk with him today. Amen? Isn't that, isn't that an encouraging thing? You may not be able to change yesterday, but there's something called God's grace that gives you the help you need for today. Yes? 
Right. So let's dive. <coughs> Colossians 1. I don't know if it's 22 or 27 because my notes are messed up. You get to find it. I'll look over here too. Because I have Colossians 1, verse 227. It's verse 27. <coughs> Colossians 1, 27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is what? Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is the mystery? The mystery is the gospel has been revealed. You want to be saved? Christ has done it all. Put your faith in him. So I got to tell you, uh, I told you a few weeks ago, I told about my little Joe, and I told about him saying he was sad because there was somebody being left out of heaven, and it was him. And so, um, anyway, Bethany talked to him, Mom and I talked to him, and, and, and it, looks like, it looks like Joe has placed his faith in Christ. Well, last night, we were doing Bible time or, or something, and we were gathered together. I leaned over to him, and I said, how you doing? He said, I'm fine. I said, well, you look like you're a little sad. And he said, no, I'm fine. I said, Joe, I said, um, I said, I think I said something like, Joe, are you saved? And he said, yes. And I said, what does that mean? He said, I'm going to get to go to heaven. And I said, why? He said, because of Jesus. And it's like, you know, praise the Lord. We continue to point him, point him, point him to Christ. Because the Bible says, and that from a child that has known all the scriptures, which are able to make thee wise in salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Well, the point is, it's Jesus. It's always Jesus. And we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus and hanging on to him in faith. But the blessing of this message is that the mystery of the gospel has been revealed that salvation is through Christ offered to everybody. The Gentiles is what's mentioned here. And here's the point, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I want to take a moment, and we're going to unpack this through all kinds of other passages we'll go to, but the hope of glory is the promise of glory. And I just want to ask this question, aren't you glad there's a heaven that we get to go to? Aren't you glad that there's going to come a day where we rec recognize and experience true salvation where it is held, not simply here by faith, but actually experienced. Aren't you glad there's gonna be that day where there won't be someday a sin-stained world anymore? Amen to that? Christ <coughs> is the hope of glory. Now I'm gonna answer something here. I mentioned it last week. Someone asked me the question, and I'll leave that person unnamed, but I've got a loved one who is rebelling against God, and their question was, instead of God, why would a God who, why would a God who created all things, why would a God like that send me to hell if I don't believe in Jesus. And this was the statement. Why doesn't he just leave me alone? Now what that is revealing is a heart that doesn't know doctrine and doesn't know the truth. And by the way, that's all of us outside of the saving grace of Christ. But what it doesn't understand is that that is exactly what hell is. Where God separates someone from him forever. The point is, in John three seventeen, God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him, what? Might be saved. All, you've heard the phrase? This world is going to hell in a handbasket. Is that true? Yes. It's probably more than a handbasket too. All this world, all the people on this planet are doomed to a Christless eternity if it isn't for the saving grace of Jesus. 
And the point is, when he saves us, it's better than we know. The hope is better than we can imagine. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 5.17, a verse that is common or well-known to many of you. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Oh, that's funny. Okay, these are my notes. I like to do this once in a while. These are my notes. I don't want to discourage you because I don't have to go on forever. But we're right there. <laughs> my, da- my, daughter, my daughter said to me today, one, I won't tell you, one of them said, we found, I, I found out pretty late notice that Derek wasn't going to be here. And uh, one of my kids asked me, so dad, are you going to be okay? To I said, yeah, I think I've, I've got a passage. And they said, well, you're good at, you're good at taking a long time. <laughs> that didn't say it quite that way, but they said, really, it's a good thing, really, it's a good thing. <laughs> they didn't say it quite that way, but it's funny. What's the hope of glory? Second <laughs> Corinthians 5.17. Read it out loud with me. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. All God's people said. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation in Jesus. He gives you a new heart, a new desire, and and glory, he's gonna change all of you so you are not dealing with sin anymore. Crazy, but that's the truth. That is astoundingly wonderful. Romans 8, 29, take your Bible there. This is gonna be just underscoring what the glory to glory uh, of 2 Corinthians 3.18 is, the glory to glory even is by the Spirit of the Lord. So you have Romans 8.29 and, and the fact that we're being changed into the image of Christ. I think many times this verse is taken out of context, but there is a predestination. And the predestination for the, for the saved is this. Read verse 29 of Romans 8 out loud. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And all God's people said. You ever, you ever think about, first of all, you remember when you were 10, 12, 15, maybe 20 even, and you didn't like the height you were? You wished you could just be a little whatever, a little taller, Unless you were our associate pastor's family, a little shorter. Um, that was Pastor Chris back in the day. Uh, anyway. God has predestined that every believer not only will be, but is complete in Christ and lacking nothing but you're going to be exactly as God wants you to be in sinless perfection. And I'm just saying again, you can muse on that all day. Let me, let's do this. Let's just do this happy little test. How many in this room have some kind of physical issue that isn't good? Anybody raise, come on, raise your hand. All right, we gotta do it again. You're not prepared for that question. All right. How many of you are willing to say, I got some physical issue that isn't a good thing? Anybody, would you raise your hand? Look across the room at all these sick people around you. Okay? Isn't it an amazing thing that God's gonna take all that away? Isn't that amazing? Now, we look at the physical side of it, right? We look at the physical side of it where there is you know, malady or, or some kind of a, an issue. But I would say it's even greater spiritually that all the wrangling that we do with our carnality, our natural man, and uh, it, it's, it's every day we deal with it. But he has predecided that every one of us is going to be conformed to his image. How big a deal is that? I mean, that, that's just, I'll just say crazy good. First John 3, 1 through 3. 
1 John 3, 1 through 3. Behold what manner of love, 1 John 3, 1 through 3. By the way, the reason I can do notes this way is that these passages, if we wanted to, we could dive into any one of these passages and spend a way long time over the riches of God that he's given to us. We're just kind of skipping the rock across these hopes that we have in Christ. We're in 1 John 3, 1 through 3. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, what? That we should be called the sons of God. Is that a big deal? Who are you to be called a child of God? Who are you? What makes you worthy? Therefore the world knows us not, knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And it goes on to say applicationally, every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as who? He is pure. So it's a relationship. I'm not being pure because I'm trying to attain. I'm trying to be pure because I'm in love with Jesus. I love him. I care about him. I don't want to disappoint my Lord. I don't want him to be saddened because of the choices I make, but I know if he wanted to hold every mark against me, there's reason for the Lord to be saddened with me. But there's a great loving God who loves me still and who loves you still. And it's better than you know. Ephesians 4.13. Ephesians 4. It's fine. I feel like this is a sword drill. Anybody remember, know what a sword drill is? Remember when you used to give a verse say, go, go. Okay, Ephesians 4.13. There you go. 20 bucks right there. No, ha, 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 ha. That'll change some things, all right? So. <laughs> Better name it and claim it, brother. All right. <clears throat> Ephesians 4.13, let's all read it out loud. Till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This Ephesians 4, 11 through 16 is largely the building block of how we see church life, that this church is, is to be built by people pointing to Jesus and the measuring stick is Christ. Now, the good thing about the measuring stick of Christ is first of all, he's the one that has grace. And secondly, he's the one that's gonna do the work to get us there and he's faithful to do it. So it's all good news. It's all good news. Now, I'm speaking to your heart today. I don't know where you're at in the world with the discouragement about who you are, but there is hope in Jesus. All right, time fails us, 1 Corinthians 15. And for the last sections, it's all 1 Corinthians 15. We're not gonna read all that's there because there's, again, you've been there before. It's rich, it's encouraging, and it's for you. It's for everyone who will come to Christ he talks about the earthy man, the one who is not regenerated, the one who is, is living after the flesh. And he's talking really about the first Adam. All right, so verse 47. The first man is of the earth, earthy. Okay, and lives after the manner of the earth. And by the way, if you live after the manner of the, of the earth, are you going to be holy or wicked? If you are an earthy man living after the earth and living under the doctrine of this, what's that mean? It means your heart is stained with sin and you're going to be overwhelmed with the manifestation of that in your life. The second man is who? It says in verse 47, the second man is who? The Lord from heaven. Verse 48, as is the earthy, such are they also that are earthy. And that means that we all have upon us the sentence of death. Just as Adam died and the world was corrupt, so are we. And we don't, I mean, this is not rocket science. You want to know if the world is corrupt? Look around. Right? The illustration is everywhere. Why is Putin invading Ukraine? 
because he wants to. Because he has ambition. Because he's a sinner in need of God's grace. Is that Putin alone? Is he the only world leader that needs that? Only people outside of the United States. <laughs> Crazy, right? No. Everywhere. I mean, if we want a testimony to the need of the world in this most free place on the planet, is the United States messed up? And we don't seem to be cleaning it up either. Why? Because man is incapable outside of God and really hopeless outside of God. You know how delusional we are? We think we can fix a broken planet. We think if I can elect the right individual, everything will be fixed. Or then I'll get my way. You ever had, uh, you ever had an elected official give everything you wanted? But why can't they? Because they're not God. And there's no governmental system on the planet that can give it to you because the governmental systems are run by men. I got some news for you. Even in the millennial reign, you know what? The world will rebel against Christ. Crazy. There's coming a day where God will fulfill all of his promises and in his saving work, There'll be a new heaven and a new earth. You know who's gonna be there? Everyone who knows Christ. It says in this, as is the earthy, verse 48, such are they also that are earthy, as is the heavenly, such are they also that are heavenly. And as we have borne the image of the earthy, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. What does that look like? Well, look at verse 51 and 52, that same passage. I'm going to stop there. And all people, all God's people said, amen. Okay, uh, verse 51 and 52. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be, say it, changed. And then we can follow that with our own praise God. Amen. Praise God. Now, how long does it take the Lord to do this? In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, for the trumpet, I love this statement. The trumpet shall sound. Nothing is going to stop it. Nothing is going to stop the trumpet of the Lord sounding. But he says, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised, say it, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Want to know more? Read further. All right, so there you go. We are not under the Old Testament and the ministry of death through the law. This is what freedom in Christ looks like. There is no grave that will hold you. There is no cremated body that won't come back that be, have a resurrected body. And by the way, in that, in that interim of when you get a resurrected body, the Bible says, for those who know Christ, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Someday there's going to be a home going. Or someday there's going to be a Christ coming. One of those two things. And what we have in the hope and the promise of this ministry of the Spirit is when the Lord comes back, all his saints will be caught up together to meet him in the air. Some of you want to fly, you're going to get your chance. Some of you that are afraid of flight, don't worry, it's a fast flight. I do think that's funny, though. For those people that are afraid of flying, I don't know how we're going to be, but I just see my mind's eye screaming all the way up. Ah! <laughs> I kind of see myself sitting next to some of my family members on a flight going, why are you screaming? 
Raise your hands. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be caught up together to be with the Lord. But if the Lord tarries, do we need to fear death? Or are we going to die if the Lord tarries? Whether it's by some disease, whether by some other malady, to die for the believer is to be in the presence of Christ because of the ministry of the Spirit. So what can we do with this? Well, it screams this this morning. There's only one way to be saved, and that's to yield to the Spirit's calling today. If you're in this room, there really isn't any hope in the world outside of Christ. Even if we had a cure today for COVID, you know what there'll be? There'll be another thing. Even if we have a cure for cancer, there'll be another thing. Even if you escape death, there'll be another instance at some point that's going to take you. What's the, what's, the, what's the promise of Scripture? It's appointed unto man once to die. Then what? In the judgment. What's, what's the point? You better know Jesus. Amen? Amen? Know Jesus. Know him. But believer, we have a hope for today that gives us the ability to walk out of this building with encouragement. God's in control. He's got a plan. I don't need to stress it. I just need to be what he wants me to be today and walk with him today and tomorrow and tomorrow until he comes. And here's what he says. And while I'm doing that, he's changing me each day to be more like him. So the call for the believer is this. Surrender with trust. Surrender. Be led of the Spirit. Let God do his work in you. This is to me is again an incredibly hope-filled message because these are the promises of God for you, where you are. Even while the world is a mess, God's promises are forever sure.